This summer we've been in the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, we've really been enjoying it. I've had a lot of people let me know they're reading through the Gospel of Matthew. That's awesome. That's exciting. And that's what we've wanted our church family to do, to read through the Gospel of Matthew, to see what the Gospel of Matthew says for yourself. In addition to that, on the weekends, our teaching team has been looking at the passages and just asking this question, what might God want us, this church family, during this summer from the Gospel of Matthew, what, God, what might God want us to look at very purposefully for the building up of our church family that we might be edified and equipped and really challenged in the things that God wants us to be challenged in as Big Valley Grace Community Church across our campuses. And that's what our teaching team is focused on, and that's the same thing that I'm doing today. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. This is at the end of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I will also reference chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. Those two are really the foundation for what our message is today from God's word. I want you to imagine you're going on a hike to a mountain, okay? You're going on a hike. Going on a hike to a mountain. Who here has ever been on a hike? Who here hates dirt? Okay, that's the two group of people in the room, all right? People who have been on a hike and people who hate dirt, all right? I want you to imagine you're going on a hike. You're going on a hike to a mountain because that's the setting of Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now, when the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, so Jesus told them, hey, go take a hike. Not in a negative way, but hey, you need to go to the mountain. We're going to go on a hike. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Okay, so the Gospel of Matthew, it, it is built like this. The beginning of it, the first three chapters, Matthew's just going, see, he's the one. Proof after proof after proof. See, he's the one. He's the one. Then you get into the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You get into the teaching of Jesus' ministry. You, get, you see how there's miracles in Jesus' ministry. You see how the religious leaders were testing Jesus. You see all of these things, and then you get into this section, a really big section of Matthew is all about Holy Week, Palm Sunday, what he taught during that week, Good Friday, Resurrection Sunday, and now you get to this moment. So this is at the very end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Really, the next big piece would be the Ascension, all right, and that's handled in the other Gospels at the end and in the book of Acts. So we're really at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, and this is how Matthew chooses to, you know, close the gospel. He says, when they saw him, some worshipped him, but some doubted. Some worshipped him, understanding he was the resurrected Lord, and some doubted what they were seeing. And Jesus came, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. He's saying, there is someone who has sovereignty, there's someone who's sovereign over all. Sovereign over all realms. Sovereign over heaven. Sovereign over earth. And the one who is sovereign over all has given that authority to me. That's what he's saying. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is speaking as a place of total sovereignty over all realms. And what does he say with that sovereignty? What does he say with that authority? He says, go therefore and make disciples. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to make disciples. It's what Jesus wants us to be about. And he tells us to go make disciples from a place of total authority and total sovereignty. And that's how this message comes. 
And so we see that this is the way that Matthew kind of closes up the gospel. It's showing that Jesus is totally sovereign and has all authority. And it's all leading to this point in the gospel of Matthew to where it's now, you go and make disciples. Be about making disciples. Now, I wanna show you an illustration of this, even right from the beginning, uh, before we get into uh, really unpacking our text today. And so here's a picture. This picture is of my wife and I, and uh, this is our nephew. His name is Skyler. And last night, in my backyard, while I was here teaching, Skyler's dad invited 12 men into my backyard for the purpose of getting in a circle and speaking the truth to this young man for his 18th birthday. Because Skylar's dad is very interested about making a disciple out of his son. So he gets 12 men in my backyard last night to share scripture with him, to give him words of counsel, to spend time praying for him, all because Skylar's dad is really taking serious, he wants to make a disciple out of his son. In addition, each of those men had an opportunity to take Skylar's Bible and to mark up Skylar's Bible, to highlight verses, to write notes in Skylar's Bible. Why, why is that so important? Well, in just a few days, this young man is gonna go serve you and he's gonna go serve me in the United States Air Force. And he can't take anything with him, but he can take his Bible. And this young man's dad is very interested in what can he do right now to be disciple-making in his son's life so that his son, as he heads out to go serve in the Air Force, he's, his dad has done what his dad could do in disciple-making in his life. I think it's an incredible illustration. I was so thankful my backyard was used in that way last night. It was so wonderful to hear 12 men speak into a young man's life and challenge him, and to share the word of God with him, to pray over him. And what I would ask you is, what's that kind of moment for you look like? Where's the Skylar moment in your life? Where you're being made a disciple, or you're making a disciple out of someone else? What does this kind of moment look like for you? And I want you to have that image in your mind as we walk through today to see what it is God might be stirring up in you in the area of being about making disciples for Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, go and make disciples. So what's a disciple? Well, here's three basic facts about disciples of Jesus. Three basic things. And after we look at these three basic facts of disciples of Jesus, we're gonna look at how God helps us to actually do it. Fact number one is disciples of Jesus love God. So in the middle of Matthew in chapter 22, we're in this season where um, the, the religious leaders are testing Jesus. They're asking him a lot of questions. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to trick him. There's multiple groups of religious leaders. One's called the Pharisees. One's called the Sadducees. One's called scribes. One's called the lawyers, right? So they have all these, you got the priests, right? So you got all these different religious leaders. Well, and some, they, they didn't necessarily get along real well. They had different views. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they weren't like buddies. So the Pharisees here that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees are all excited because Jesus got this other group to stop talking. And so the Pharisees now come in verse 34 of Matthew 22. It says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, 
They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. So that's what they're doing. They're trying to test Jesus to see what he knows. And this is the question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Okay. So the Gospel of Matthew is right there in my Bible. This is what they're asking. Of all those, which one's most important? That's a big question, right? All those. All those words, all those verses, all those commands. Which one's most important? That's the question they're bringing to Jesus. Okay? So Jesus answers it in this way. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. This is how you sum up all the law and the prophets. It's summed up in this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And one of the gospels adds strength, right? So your person, your being. One of the gospels adds the fourth one, which is all your strength. And this is the great and first commandment. Jesus is saying, this is the priority. This is it. And I notice how many times it says all. You know, he said, I have all authority. And now he's saying, hey, I want you to love me with all that you have, all of you. And that helps me understand Jesus is looking for our total love, our total love, which is why we have the core value of total worship. If you go out one of those two doors in that hallway right there, you're gonna see this sign. It says worship, all right? Worship, love the Lord your God, because worship is one of our core values as a church. Total worship, that we'd love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? And it comes from this verse right here. And as a church family, we value worship because Jesus says it's the first of priority, is loving God, loving God. And you might be thinking, you know, how's that possible? We're gonna talk about that in just a moment. You know, there's something interesting about the Modesto campus. You know, it could be confusing. It doesn't have to be confusing, but it could be confusing, and that is this. When you come onto the Modesto campus, there's this enormous building we're in right now on the Modesto campus. It's huge, right? It's a big old building. And there's signs on the outside of the building. And the signs on the outside of the building say, Worship Center. Have you seen them? Okay, the reason why that can be confusing is because it is true. This is a center where worship happens. But the command of Jesus is not that the building would worship Jesus. The command of Jesus is that we would worship Jesus, that we would love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I want you to imagine this. You are the worship center. You are the worship center. Your life is to be the center where worship is happening that you would be a worship center, loving God with everything that you have, giving your total worship to him, living in total worship to him. All right, so fact number one, disciples of Jesus love God. Fact number two, disciples of Jesus love people. Disciples of Jesus love people. So in the same conversation he's having with the Pharisees, they ask him about the first priority, Jesus answers, and then now Jesus gives them bonus content. They don't ask about a second priority. They don't ask a second question, but Jesus gives them the second part of it, and it is about loving people. And so he says, a second is like it. You've asked about the first, I've told you, it's loving God with all of you, all your heart, soul, mind, strength, right? All your person, total worship. But, but before we move on from this, there's a second that's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's saying, if you have total worship and you're loving me with everything that you have, a second's like it, it follows right behind it, and it's love your neighbor as yourself. And real practically, I just want to ask this question, real practically, is it possible 
that when Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is it possible that included in that statement, Jesus means you should love your actual neighbor? Like the one who lives next door to you. The one who sleeps 50 feet from you. Like, is it possible? When Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is it possible that he's including in that statement, you should love literally the person who lives near you? And I think it is. And he says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I love what Jesus is doing right here. He is simplifying things. Okay, I want you to imagine this table right here. This half of the table is love God. This half of the table is love people, okay? Those two commandments. Love God is this half of the table. Love people is this half of the table. Jesus is saying, your whole Bible can rest on those two commands. Do you see what he's saying? On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. He's saying, if you love God, total worship, and you love people, neighborly service, he's saying, the whole thing rests right there. I love that Jesus simplifies things, and here's why, because now I understand. He simplified it. Now I understand what he's saying. Love God. Love people. Everything else depends on those right there. Incredible. It's why we have the core value of serve. And if you go out one of those two doors, there's a hallway right there, you'll see this sign right here. Serve. Love your neighbor as yourself and the verse we just looked at. This is why we value neighborly service. We value neighborly service because Jesus told us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so as a church, at Big Valley Grace Community Church, we value serve. It's one of our core values, is serve. Now, you know, I believe God's placed you in your neighborhood for a reason. Because there's neighbors he wants you to serve. I don't think it's an accident where you live. I think you've been placed there as his ambassador and to be salt and delight and to reach people for Jesus. You know, uh, what does it look like to love people, right? Well, Jesus tells a story. And there's this man, he gets robbed, beat up, and left on the side of the road right here in Jesus' story. And there are three people who come across him. The first is a priest. A priest comes, sees the man, beat up, robbed, left on the road, and the priest goes, crosses the other side, and moves on, okay? That's the first person in Jesus' story. Second person is a Levite. Levites were taking care of the temple. That was their job, okay? So a Levite comes. He comes up onto the man. The man has been beaten, robbed, left on the road. The Levite turns, crosses the road, and walks past the man, okay? Anybody here relate to this story so far? Third guy, Samaritan. They were enemies, okay? In this story, the Samaritans were enemies, all right? They were not like, these were not like friends. They were not even frenemies. They were just, didn't like each other, all right? Samaritan comes up. Samaritan sees man beaten, robbed, left on the side of the road. And what the Samaritan does? Shows compassion on him and cares for him. And then he says, or the, Jesus in the story says, he takes oil and wine and pours it all over the wounds of the guy who had been beaten up and robbed. And in just this moment right now, I'm realizing I've been using oil and wine incorrectly because apparently that's how you're supposed to use them. You're supposed to pour, pour oil and wine all over your wounds. And I, I'm just now learning that's the proper use for oil and wine. And that's important for me. So in this moment, he says he cares for him. 
He cares for him. He shows him compassion. So Jesus just asks a question after he tells the story. And then he just says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the person answered, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, exactly, go do the same thing. You go and do likewise. Be about neighborly service. You go do the same thing. You go be like the one who showed mercy. The question is not, who is my neighbor? The question is, who am I being a neighbor to? Because when I ask the question, who is my neighbor, it wants me to exclude some people. But when I realize it's about, who am I being a neighbor to? I go, oh, I've got a responsibility before the Lord. God wants to work in and through my life. Now, you may be going, I need some help in this area. We're gonna help you in this area, okay? We're gonna help you. Now, Pastor Lonnie asked great questions. He asked this question to me last week. Our teaching team meets every week. He said, I wanna, I wanna ask you a question. When's the last time you had a person over for dinner in the place you live who was not a relative or a close friend? <laughs> Why are we getting all personal? I'll ask it again. When's the last time you had a person over for dinner where you live that was not a relative or a close friend? Wow, let's accept that challenge, all right? Just imagine. I, I challenge you. Have someone over for dinner who's not a relative or a close friend and see how God might provide you the opportunity for neighborly service. It'd be pretty incredible. Now, you might be going, hey, I need help in this area. I'll give you some help in just a moment. Fact number three, disciples of Jesus actually make disciples. Disciples of Jesus make disciples. So in this, our, our first passage, you know, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all. There's that word all again. That means everyone's included. God wants us to make disciples everywhere. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Again, there's that word all, always. Jesus said, I'm with you always. I got all authority. I want you to love me with all that you have. You know, these two commandments are uh, based on all the law and the prophets are on these two commandments. Now we have all nations. Now we have always. I mean, he's just, he's over it all. He, he, this is clearly God, you know, Jesus is saying, I, I am sovereign over everything. It's all, it's all belongs to me. And I'm telling you what I want you to do. I want you to make disciples. So this is where we get our core values. Three more. And if you go out those two doors and there's a wall right there, you're gonna see these signs. One of them is reach. One of them is reach. Reach, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Why at Big Valley Grace Community Church, we value endless reach. We're just gonna endlessly reach. We're gonna keep reaching, keep reaching, keep reaching. We're not gonna stop. That's, that's what we value because Jesus told us to do this and it's from that verse right there. Another one of our values is connect. And this is about being connected in fellowship, having connected fellowship. This is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the verse. Baptism is a symbol, water baptism is a symbol of the spiritual baptism that happens when Jesus places his spirit in us. And if Jesus has placed his spirit in you, and Jesus has placed his spirit in you, and Jesus has placed his spirit in you, and Jesus has placed his spirit in you, the spirit's not divided, which means we are united. We are one. We are together as the body of Christ. And so, man, baptism, water baptism is this incredible outward symbol of this incredible spiritual truth that happens in our lives. And we come together as a church family to be connected in fellowship. That's why we value that. Another one is grow. If you go out those two doors, there's a hallway right there, you're gonna see a sign that says grow. 
And this is about continuous growth. It says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you in the verse that we just looked at. He says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so we're gonna be continuously growing. I truly believe I will not stop growing in Jesus until I see him in glory. And I'm probably gonna keep growing then. I'm pretty for sure when I get there, there's gonna be things I learn. I'm pretty for sure I'm not gonna figure out Jesus the first time I see him in heaven. I'm pretty for sure every day in glory for eternity, I'm gonna be blown away by Jesus, learning about him, growing in my understanding of who he is. I don't think there's gonna be a day in heaven that I'm bored. I think it's gonna be fascinating and incredible. I'm looking forward to it. So we value continuous growth, continuous growth. So to sum all that up, it tells you about our mission. What is our mission? Our mission at Big Valley Grace Community Church is love God, love people, make disciples. That is our mission. And it comes from what Jesus says is the first thing we should focus on and the second thing that's like it and this command to go make disciples. This is our mission, which is why if you go out those two doors right there, there's a big hallway right there, and there is an enormous sign. It is ginormous. It is huge. It goes the whole length of the hallway. Love God, love people, make disciples. Maybe you haven't noticed it. Our mission, the verses I just read from those two passages. That's our mission as a church. This is what we're about doing as a church. And this means we are a disciple-making church. That is the kind of church we are. We are a disciple-making church. It means we wanna glorify God by helping our neighbors in need find grace in Jesus Christ. That they might be introduced to his love, love for him, his love for them, his love through them to other people, that they might become leaders, disciple makers themselves, and that they would understand that Jesus is with them always. They would be on mission for their entire life. This is what we're about as a church. This is who we are. So, and I go, well, how, I need some help. Great. God's got ways he wants to help you. And when I share with thee three ways that God helps disciples accomplish the mission, you're gonna go, those three ways are incredible. You're right, and it's not because I thought of them, I didn't come up with them, this is what God did. I'm just gonna share you the three ways God is helping disciples accomplish the mission. Way number one is God's holy word. God has given you his word. And God is helping you to be a disciple maker by giving you his word. In John 15, seven, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So the me right here, that me is Jesus. Abide, that means connection. Connection to Jesus. If you have connection to Jesus. So Jesus is the source and you need connection to Jesus. So he's saying, if you're willing to be connected to me. Now I wanna illustrate this for you. So um, I don't want anybody to walk around right now because it's about to get dark in the room, okay? I'm gonna illustrate this. All right, there are literally thousands of light bulbs in this room. There are light bulbs all through the ceiling. There are light bulbs all up here. There are light bulbs all over the stage. There's light bulbs everywhere. And guess what they all are right now? Useless. Because there's no power going to the light bulbs. Right after Jesus says, if you abide in me, you know what he says in the same passage? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. In the same way, 
that all of these light bulbs are useless without electricity running to them? Jesus is saying, if you will not abide in me, if you will not have connection to me as the source, you won't be able to do anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, let's turn the lights on. That's helpful, right? Jesus is being really clear. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's a reason why I wrote you a letter and I told you I wanted you to read the gospel. I, Matthew, I made a bunch of videos and I posted them about how I wanted you to read the gospel of Matthew. I sent a bunch of emails out of how I wanted you to read the gospel of Matthew. There's a reason why we made bookmarks so you could read the gospel of Matthew. And there's a reason why in announcement times I've been saying, hey, I want you to read the gospel of Matthew. And there's a reason at the beginning of every one of my sermons I've been like, hey, I want you to read the gospel of Matthew. Some of you are realizing right now, I actually want you to read the gospel of Matthew. Why? Because I understand that if you read it, if you will have his words abide in you, you're gonna read it, and now that you're reading it, you're gonna start thinking about it. And now that you're thinking about the Gospel of Matthew, you're thinking about God's word, you're gonna have some questions. You're gonna start digging in, you're gonna start studying. And as you're studying and as you're seeing answers to how God's answering your questions, you're gonna start praying about the things that you're reading. And God's gonna start working in your heart. And through prayer, as you're looking at the word and his words abiding in you, I know it's gonna happen. You're gonna get to a place where you're reading and you're praying and you go, oh, God loves me. God loves me. Oh God, I love you. Thank you for loving me. I love you too. Thank you. You're connected to Jesus through his word and you're realizing how much he loves you, and you just wanna love him back. And God gives us his holy word to help us love him, that we would abide in his word so that he might abide in us. It's incredible the way that God helps us, incredible. And then he says, ask anything you wish, it's gonna be done for you. How can he just like write a blank check like that? Well, it's because he's saying, if you abide in me and you realize how much I love you and you're loving me back, you're gonna ask for the things that I want anyway, right? You're gonna, your will and your love is gonna be aligned to God. And so you're gonna ask for things that would be the same things God would want because you've lined up your life with him. And so he's saying, abide in me, be connected to me. Read the Gospel of Matthew. Way number two, God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit, wow. John 15, 26, it says, but when the helper comes, the helper is a name for the Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, who I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. You might be going, you know what? I need help loving people. God's saying, I'm gonna help you love people by being empowered by my Holy Spirit. Because guess what? The Spirit is who bears witness about me. Have you ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. My favorite one to hate in that list is patience. I don't I didn't like that one. That is rough. That patience gig, patience is for other people. I'm telling you, patience is hard, all right? And if it was in my own power, I don't think I could do it. But it's not meant to be in my own power. It's meant to be a fruit of the Spirit, not a fruit of Joel. It's, you know, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit, the helper, will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit in your life will bear this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Aren't you glad that it's not dependent on you to bear that fruit? It's dependent on the Holy Spirit of God working in you. It's great news. It's great news. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, it says that he who is speaking in the Spirit cannot say Jesus is accursed. What does that mean? If you are empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can't cuss Jesus out at the same time. That's what it says. You cannot say Jesus is accursed if you are speaking in the Spirit of God. It also says in that same verse, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that when someone says Jesus is Lord, they can only say it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you're only operating in the power of the Holy Spirit or not in the holy power of the Holy Spirit. You're not doing both at the same time. And man, wow, God comes and he says, hey, be empowered by my Holy Spirit. Let my Holy Spirit run your life so that you can be about me. And I'm thankful for that because without that, I don't know if I could love you. <laughs> Some of you didn't think that was funny. You will. You're going to be eating lunch later. you like, oh, yeah. Loving, loving people's hard. It is. It's hard. God says you don't do it on your own. You're going to let me love you, and then you're going to let me have my love flow through you. The power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. That's a great help, isn't it? To love people, that we'd be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for that. Way number three is God's holy church. We're not meant to be doing this isolated. We're not meant to be doing this alone. We're meant to be together as we do this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You know, the next time you're feeling down in the dumps, open up your Bible to 1 Peter, to chapter two, to verse nine. Go stand in front of a mirror and yell this verse at the other person. <laughs> you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That is what is true about you. Do not believe lies that you are worthless, that you don't matter, that you're a mistake. Those are lies from the enemy and it is not what is true about your life. You look yourself in the eyes and you tell yourself the truth about who you are in Jesus Christ. It says that you are a people for his own possession. You know what that means? That means you are the work of, of, of art that God has created. You are the craftsmanship that God has created. God, as the artist, has signed his name on your life. He has written his signature on the work of art that is your life. And so what do we do in response? We just tell people how awesome God is. We proclaim his excellency. God is awesome. God's so awesome. God's so great. My God's so excellent. You know how? You know how I know it? Because he called me out of darkness and the works of darkness and pursuing sin that was destroying my life. And he called me into his marvelous light that I might be free and have freedom in the light of Jesus Christ. Whew. So next time you're having a bad day, find a mirror, 1 Peter 2.9, and have a great time having a conversation with yourself because God loves you. And we are meant to be together in this. This is all, these are all terms of community. None, none of this is about you just as an individual. It's all about us as a group. A group of people, the body of Christ. It's incredible. God wants us to be working together. Because when it comes to making disciples, we need to do that together. And God's saying, I've given you my holy church. That you're not alone in this. 
You're to do it together. It's, it's, you know, it's why we talk about life groups so much, you know, small groups. When we see in Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus do ministry with thousands, but he also tells the guys, go take a hike, right? Let's go on a hike. There's some things I want to talk to you about. There's corporate ministry that he does, but there's also ministry he does that's in really, really small groups. That's why we talk about life groups so much. That's why we encourage people to get into life groups so much. Pastor Lonnie's so cool. Pastor Lonnie gave me something that's really interesting. He gave me a list of reasons of why people don't want to be in a life group. Reasons that our church family members have given him. So, why do people not open up their homes? He gave me a list of 13 reasons why people have told him they will not open up their home. Why do people not join groups? He gave me a list of 15 reasons why people have told him that they will not join a life group. Why will people not lead groups? Pastor Lonnie gave me a list of eight reasons people have told him that they will not, they are not willing to lead a life group. I don't think Jesus cares about your reasons. What I do think Jesus cares about is that you make disciples. I am not telling you, you have to be in a life group. I am saying, Jesus wants us to be about making disciples. And when you get into a smaller group of people, discipleship flourishes. So you might be in a men's group, you might be in a women's group, you might be in a life group, you might be in a, in a study with a small group of people. I don't know, but wow, you gotta not miss out on the disciple making that Jesus wants you to be a part of. Could Skylar's dad have done what he did on this stage in front of hundreds of people? Yes, but there's a reason why he said, let's do it in a backyard with 12 men to speak into his life very purposefully so there's a conversation happening about Jesus. And I'm just saying, don't miss out. Don't miss out. That's why we're working so hard to help everybody who would wanna be a part of a life group to get into these life-on-life discipleship moments. So if you wanna love God, Abide in God's holy word. Loving God's the mission. God's holy word is how he's helping you accomplish that mission. If you wanna love God, abide in God's holy word. If you wanna love people, love people is the mission. God's holy spirit is how he's helping you accomplish the mission. If you wanna love people, be empowered by God's holy spirit. If you wanna make disciples, make disciples is the mission. God's holy church is how God's helping you accomplish the mission. So if you wanna make disciples, be equipped with God's holy church. This summer... We have spent two months looking at the gospel of Matthew very purposefully so we can see what the gospel is. The next two weeks, we're gonna be looking at reasons why you should be in a group. I got a, you know, a list of 45 reasons people don't wanna be in one. So we're gonna look from the next two weeks at reasons why being in small groups for discipleship is so important. Because this fall, we're going into a 12-week series called Grace Transforms, and we've had a lot of team members working really hard. A lot of you have worked really hard. There is something really special that's gonna happen in our church family this fall, I believe it, as we look at the power of grace to transform our lives. And I don't want you to miss out, not just on being a part in the weekend, but being a part during the week with a smaller group of people that you're praying and you're getting into God's word together and you're living life in community. So I would just ask you, what's the step you need to take? What do you need to do as we've looked at our mission, love God, love people, make disciples? As we looked at our core values, worship, serve, right, reach, connect, grow. As we've looked at those, what's the step that you need to take? How's God asking you to take a step of obedience for him? We're a disciple-making church. 
And our mission is love God, love people, and make disciples. Let's stand together. I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to close by singing together one more song. And uh, Father God, Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I have nothing but gratitude for you, Lord. And again, I just want to say thank you for the example of Pastor Rick Thompson and his beautiful bride. They've served so faithfully and sacrificially. They, they, his daughter... His daughter in the video is right. They've, they've shown us what it looks like to love God, love people, and make disciples. They literally have lived out the mission. We can look at their life and see the mission lived out. God, help us. Help us to be a people who are going to finish well. Lord, how, how can we take a step in being a part of the mission, your mission? Love God, love people, make disciples. Help us know. What can we do? And so, Lord, I love you. I'm so grateful for today. And uh, we're just really grateful to be together to worship you. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said.